everyone, and welcome back to the Rounding the Earth podcast. Rounding the Earth is a multimedia education project based on the popular newsletter series published on Substack, written by applied statistician and educator Matthew Crawford. Topics of discussion range from critical analysis of conventional wisdom to Bitcoin and everything in between, in particular, the ongoing pandemonium and the many offshoot topics that come about, such as the one we're going to get into today. Our goal is a careful examination of important topics and perspectives shaping the world that too few people talk about. Subscribe to Rounding the Earth on Locals, Substack, and Rumble to join a burgeoning research community and to help us unflatten the earth. My name is Liam Sturgis. I recently fell under a lawnmower. I'm a musician, music producer, and writer-slash-editor coming at you live from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I will be your host for today. Now, please allow me to introduce the author of Rounding the Earth and my co-host for the podcast, in the blue corner, Mr. Matthew Crawford. Hello, Hello sir. So Are they... I, did I say red corner or blue corner? I forget which one I, I said. I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, I'm, just, I'm, in my, I'm in our corner. Hey, and that's what really matters. Um, well, let's let's not waste any time. We've got another guy in our corner today that I'm I'm really excited to introduce to people. Um, somebody we've been working with. Kind he's of, in the Canadian um, corner. He is in the Canadian corner, which means we're in the hat area. Whatever corner that is, we're in America's <laughs> hat area. Um, but he, um, let me please introduce someone we've been working with uh, through Operation Uplift behind the scenes for a long time now and more directly in recent weeks and months. Please allow us to introduce Gabe Rio. How are you, Gabe? Hey, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. And we all um, call Gabriel Gabe. So um, that's, a, that's a familiarity thing for anybody watching. Uh, we, we've known Gabe for a while now. Yeah, and as part of my introduction, I may as well jump straight into my slides if I just share here. Yeah, you want uh, do you want to give the audience a um, a quick like uh, like one or two sentence summary? What are we talking about today, and why why are we talking about it? So today we are talking about big tech and my approach to technological solutions moving forward. Let me know if you can see my screen share. We've got, it looks like there's a, yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. So add it to the stream. Yes, absolutely. Please. Boom. There we go. So I'm Gabriel. I'm a Canadian, as has been mentioned, born and raised in Ontario, Canada, and I'm passionate about free software. Now, free software isn't just software that's free as in free in price, but free as in freedom. And I also come from a tech support background. I worked in at Canadian Blood Services in a tech support capacity before the pandemonium ejected me from this aspect of my life. I maintain my own personal website at gabe.rocks, but more importantly, the Libra Solutions Network is the project I start about talking about what we can do when it comes to technology. This slide from the Snowden leaks is actually something I come back to all the time. It, in a nutshell, explains exactly what's wrong with big tech and how we've been using it. For people who are listening, I'll just describe that it is a graphic. Of hey, uh, uh, can I stop you for a second? We're, yeah. we're seeing both your slide preparation and the slide itself. And I want to see the slide bigger, but also I think that's not what you intended. Oh. 
My bad. Yeah, I, I just noticed that's what this was as well. It was oddly rectangular. <laughs> oh, well, then you're getting a sneak preview of the slides. That is very Now, of course, a big part of tech is troubleshooting. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, entire screen. Ah, oh, there's the problem. Okay. Now you can re add it. Yeah, there we go. There, now you can actually see the picture. That yeah. picture, as far as I'm concerned, is 90% of our technological problems. We have all been bribed by big tech offering us basically free storage and bandwidth to use their services, whether it's Gmail, whether it's Facebook, and now TikTok that they're even thinking about banning, though that bill has other issues to discuss on its own. The main thing I want to point out about this graphic is it has this little note, SSL added and removed here, smiley face. This is because although big tech has spent a lot of time making sure your communications and data are private once it gets to them, the moment it hits their door, you have no more guarantees. The other side of the problem is what your audience and people generally are more familiar with. Big tech platforms will censor people, locking them out of the discussion, and then they'll use their advanced tools to shape the one conversation they want people to have. And in any aspect of the pandemonium or even some of the broader social issues, this censorship and centralization of discussion itself will create its own kind of problems. So Richard Stallman is somebody who's actually seen this coming <laughs> decades away. He advocates for what's called the free software you know, movement, and he wrote the core utils for the new operating system. Free software involves the four freedoms, the freedom to run, copy, distribute, study, and change the software. This is what makes free software separate from proprietary software. The answer here is open protocols, whether it's XMPP, Matrix, IRC, Noster, or even IPFS. There are tons of different ways where you just simply establish the rule set for how people want to interact, and then they can use their own tools, their own environments, their own preferred ways of interacting with what is effectively an open system. As an example of an open system, I'm going to reference the Fediverse. On the most basic level, the Fediverse just establishes that you are a actor, whether it's a person or a blog, and you have an inbox that you receive messages at, and you have an outbox that you send messages to, which is how others receive what you send. What makes this system really power, powerful is that the ActivityPub specification is an open protocol. Many different platforms and services actually use it. In this graphic, it shows you know WordPress, Mastodon, which is the one you might have heard about, but there's also PureTube, Rightfully, and FunkWhale for podcasts. I'm actually going to demonstrate this interoperability for you right now, as this is a video I have where I demonstrate what is the Fediverse actually. And I'm going to go back to my MissKey instance, which is kind of like a general social media platform. And so I'm just going to write, hello, rounding the earth. And once it sends, I don't know <laughs> if it'll take a minute or just a second, but I'll just refresh this page. And the comment here from my MISKEY instance actually shows up in the comments here. Sorry about that. I hope you didn't hear the audio, but there it is. So 
What's excellent about this is the interoperability. Now, while this is something that's built into the Fediverse itself, it is by no means in unique to it. Fundamentally, any interoperable and public system will work this way. Many people will describe the Fediverse as it's like email. You know, you have different services that inter multiple servers that in <laughs> that communicate with each other. And, you know, you'll have your own home base and then your home base talks to the other home bases. And this really does help with, you know, single points of failure. Over last weekend, Mastodon.social, the largest Fediverse instance, had its own DDoS attack ongoing. But most of the network didn't exist because most of the network doesn't just exist on one server. And so as a broader way of distributing not only the conversation, but the actual technical infrastructure itself, it's a lot more resilient and robust. Walking the walk. Now, fundamentally, we could all just sign up to Amazon Web Services and create, you know, Fediverse profiles on their giant machines. But ideally, it would be best to self-host. You know, host, Libra server, and both Start9's Embassy OS make that really easy. Those are all different systems you can run that will just make installing most of these services one click as install like you would on any other system. You can also do it through Docker, which is a containerized system that does make getting started a lot quicker. And as well, I <laughs> put the ba photo bash there because bash is the Linux command terminal and you can still do it, quote unquote, by hand if you like. There are some excellent guides on this online. Landchad.net maintains basically whatever service you want to start. It has excellent instructions and it's not just limited to the five limited there. As well, I also want to point out that this website, gofoss.net, is actually quite excellent. It is probably the most comprehensive break free from the cloud and, you know, retain your digital sovereignty website I have seen to date. And there are a lot of people trying, so it's, it's, it's a high bar to meet. Lastly, I also just want to discuss the three primary resources in cyberspace. And these are what I call the limits to decentralization, because far too many times people will just look at a software, an app, a ecosystem, and just examine it on the software level. To truly decentralize the technological landscape, we need to think in terms of computing power, storage, and bandwidth. Who has it? Who controls it? And how are they all used together? Thank you. And that's my uh, presentation. So that that's who you are. That's incredible. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, yeah, that was that was a lot very fast. And um, some of that is familiar. <laughs> some of it is brand new. But the concept is, I think, something, as you suggest, that specifically the running the Earth audience is starting to understand, which is when we have a centralized system of, of, of connected things on the Internet that are still controlled by just a handful of companies you wind up with situations where we're not allowed on youtube anymore um so that's awesome thank you for that that quick rundown um hey, i'm curious before, yeah go before we hit different points uh gabe can you keep up that slideshow um just yeah. because i i think that um i i know that i will have questions and want to go back to certain points in the slides there we go i've uh added it back so, um, and in the, uh, 
in in the the wonderful locals chat we've got going, um, we have our usual fantastic group of people who have come over to. Uh, I, I don't think locals is a decentralized platform in the way you're discussing, and maybe we can talk about that. But we do have people contributing to the chat saying this seems like it's over their head, but they'll try to keep up. I, I don't think it needs to be over their head, right? I think yeah. this is actually a fairly straightforward set of 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 concepts. Um, but if you were to take what you just said uh, in in that presentation and introduce the notion, you know, the, introduce the concept to somebody in a single sentence, what is the problem you're trying to address? You know, with everything you just said. Well, my, my first goal really is on some level to educate because I take a lot of this for granted and I want to bring it down to a level where I don't get that response. That's very much a work in progress. But my one sim simple answer would be is that the ideal state is you are running a program on your own machine that isn't phoning home or accessing internal resources if it doesn't need to. For instance, you know, you can download AI models. You don't have to use ChatGPT. Currently, you know, if you want the nice performance, it will, you know, does operate that way. But as far as decentralization goes, you need to make sure that the ideal, whether it's your own machine, your own server, or even something just run by people you trust, any kind of system you're using that's with, run by people you, you can't trust, can't trust, not even won't trust, but can't trust, will end up hurting you in the long run. But let's stop there for just a second. <clears throat> when you and, and this is this is a topic where um, people in the tech space are going to know exactly what you meant <laughs> just then when you said people that you can't trust, you know, not even people that you won't trust. Um, this is a conversation that um, I, I think we should like stop here and 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 flesh that out uh, simply because a lot of people are you know may not understand it as quickly as you said it. And I think we have the opportunity to bring more people into that conversation. The Bitcoiners are talking about, you know, um, you know, this is trustless currency. This is this is money for enemies. This is, you know, um, you don't you don't have to rely on a trusted third party. And and a lot of people hear these phrases, and it takes a little while for these to sink in. You know, a tr uh, a trusted third party is really somebody that you can't trust is that right is 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 that sort of in the in the ballpark of what you mean there well part of what i mean about somebody you can't trust is that if you're using some kind of corporate site whether it's social media whether it's video hosting the problem fundamentally is that they have an existential reason to put their interests ahead of yours. They're not going to fight a court order just because you'd like them not to and there are real, you know, contingencies that they have to have when it comes to those situations. And part of the whole ideal state I would draw it down to is that if you are ideally running the system yourself as an individual unit, though practically you may want you know family members involved just to remove some deduplication, the smaller you bring that in, the less harm these other entities can do to you. Yeah. Um, well, uh, so I, just to try to bridge a couple of these topics, um, you didn't mention cryptocurrency or blockchain um, <laughs> or Bitcoin, but what? But it sounds like these things are fundamentally linked, if not yes. technologically, then in in premise. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So, so Bitcoin is a perfect example. It itself is free software. You can download the software source code. You can edit the source code and run it however you like. 
However, there is a whole consensus algorithm, which is the whole point of Bitcoin. You are not going to just run Bitcoin as, you know, with, with you know, your wallet set to a million Bitcoins. You know, you do have to stay with the rules of the system. And this is very similar to many of these other systems because Bitcoin at its core is an open protocol. And open protocols are the answer here, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's chat, whether it's whatever op crazy systems we want to design. But when it comes to how the crypto space overlaps with a lot of this, the, the, the honest truth is, I personally feel like crypto has underestimated some of these problems when it comes to, you know, the three primary resources, storage, computing power and bandwidth, because you need a reason for people to run those nodes. And in my opinion, Bitcoin is probably Bitcoin and Monero are the only two that have actually answered that question. You know, I remember looking into some of the fancier uh, Ethereum spinoffs that have, you know, a lot of the smart contracts and smart contracts are excellent if you actually have value on the underlying asset. But when it's all just moving, you know, imaginary digits around, why not just use the US dollar? And so these three primary resources are important because somebody has to have a reason to run your nodes. If all the people running the nodes want to censor your transactions, they will. And there's really nothing that can stop them, no matter what system you're using. Right. You, you need them to be adversarial with one another. Right. And, you need and big them to be acting as if they are not one unit and going back. And, and I was trying to I was spending a moment processing this. Um, and, and, you know, I, I want to slow down and hesitate here because I, I think that there is a lot for people to process. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to going to go all the way back from the existential conflict of interest um, for people who have studied economics. This is the this is kind of the equivalent of the Triffin paradox. The Triffin dilemma, which is where the, the 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 nation that runs the reserve currency has a different interest in what happens with that currency than everyone else in the world, and that conflict of interest, um, you know, creates this adversarial relationship. And and what shatters that that conflict of interest, that conflict of interest that may dictate, you know. That, that snowballs into most or all of the wars of the world really um, is, you know, it, it's that schism right there. It, it's, it's that difference between, you know, one ruler and then everybody else having to, you know, put up with whatever the policies are. And, and here you, you've distinguished um, and, and this is, this is so important. So let, let's do this slowly. Let's unpack this. You've distinguished Bitcoin from other digital currencies and in particular central bank digital currencies because a lot of people lump all these together and i think that that is intentional i think it's it's sort of um it, it, it was it's probably a psyop to get people to not think of um the the you know to think of cryptocurrencies as the primary categorization but you're stepping in and saying no look you know it uh, this other this other aspect is is the primary distinction between the categorization. We can say, hey, look, it's about being digital. That could be the attribute that we focus on. But you're saying, no, it's the open protocol. Right. And and from there, from there, you begin to more to be able to more clearly um, point to something like storage, you know, the the incentives over the storage system as being a crux in how it is that the system can operate on an economic basis.
Yeah, and that was a big thing that fueled the block size wars in the Bitcoin community. Do you set a one megabyte limit to the block size so that people can run nodes on Raspberry Pis, or do you let it grow so that it can run more transactions per second? But then what happens to that storage incentive? Can you put that in plain English? <laughs> so what was this? This uh, At what point did this uh, discussion occur? Who was having this discussion? What, what was this? So so Bitcoin Core, as it exists, uh, has that limit. They later added a soft fork uh, to, to raise it with a different system. But the gist of it is, is that at a certain point, I want to say around 2016, I forget when this was, there was a rift in the Bitcoin community, the quote unquote big blockers versus the small blockers. The big blockers eventually forked into Bitcoin Cash, which is what some may be familiar with today. And that was the fundamental divide over whether... Bitcoin itself should have large blocks or small blocks. And I, to, as far as I'm concerned, the dividing line was how people felt the economic, the storage economics worked. Because one of the arguments the small blockers had, you know, Bitcoin core devs themselves, was that you shouldn't record your coffee transaction on the global public ledger. Maybe it really should only be for important uh, transactions. The challenge with this, though, especially as it's worked out over time, is that Bitcoin, but even blockchains built on the same kind of system, they're effectively an auction every 10 minutes or whatever the interval is on a transaction. So the smaller it is, the more, I would say, uh, inflexible, so the more flexible the fees are. Because if you have a small auction and a ton of people are trying to get you know, a transaction through within a short period of time, suddenly that auction can go to the roof quite quickly. Right. Do you need, um, uh, do you need the security that you purchase in order to buy coffee in your neighborhood? <laughs> the answer is no, it's coffee in your neighborhood. And your neighborhood, <laughs> your neighborhood businesses run on a different level of protocol because socially you do all know each other. If a business just begins to abuse people two blocks down, you find out about it. You know about it. They depend on their reputation within that tight geography. And so, you know, people people don't need to worry about whether or not they buy their coffee directly on the Bitcoin blockchain. And there are some there are some other solutions bubbling up and developing to this. Uh, uh, there's the Lightning uh, Network. Yeah, there's the Lightning Network, and and you know. It, we can, we can set that aside for another conversation another day because it's not really core to what we're talking about today. But I just wanted to present that because for some people, it's going to make another connection to something they may know about or partially know about. All these things I feel like I partially know about. And every time I have these conversations, I, you know, um, my understanding branches a little further. But I, I would say that the big mindset change that needs to happen is I initially got really excited about Bitcoin because I saw, you know, that computing power I got there and I'm like, Bitcoin could create a market incentive to democratize general computing hardware. The reason why it didn't is because ASICs were invented and suddenly there were specialized machines for mining Bitcoin and that torpedoed that dream. But I personally see self-hosting, whether it's the Bitcoin network, whether it's your own email server, whether it's other kinds of services, self-hosting provides a real reason for people to actually care about de democratizing access to hardware. 
So maybe we can look at a couple of real world um, things that are going on right now. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to share my screen. Now, okay. we brought up the, the TikTok act. But before we get there, <laughs> um, I want to. Oh, man, where did I hide it? Once again, too many windows open. So here we go. So here in Canada, um, I don't know, Matthew, to what degree you're familiar with this, but we have right now this thing going on in uh, our government where they are, uh, it's called B Bill C-11, where they're attempting to, uh, let's see, change Canada's broadcasting policy and give new powers to the country's broadcasting regulator, among other things. The idea seems to be it's going to control the internet more in terms of prioritizing Canadian content to help us Canadian musicians get our music out in front of audiences. Um, I, uh, and it's based on a, a similar, like we've already got this for TV and radio. There has to be a certain, you know, proportion of, of Canadian content that is uh, broadcast. But I think the idea is now they're trying to add that to the internet. Now, everyone I know looks at that and understands it's a, uh, it's an information control mechanism. Um, I don't think Justin Trudeau gives two craps about my music uh, or any uh, any any musician uh, uh, from Canada or otherwise. So, uh, uh, Gabe, what insight can you give us uh, on what's going on here? And um, well, actually, sorry, before you answer that, let me show you uh, how this has uh, impacted um, the tech space, because Google um, has uh, publicly come out and said, as it stands right now, this bill's not good. Now, you might be like, well, hey, Google's coming to our defense, except I don't trust that that's what they're doing. But what they are saying is because of Bill C-11, we are going to make changes to how we deliver content to Canadians. <clears throat> so it's it's not even strictly the government coming in and censoring or redirecting information. You have Google now saying some, I think it's like 7% of Canadian users will are now part of an experiment. They're now beta testing how they're going to treat Canadian users. And this may be related more to some of my public statements, but I know I can't post Google reviews anymore. Um, so there's there's some weird stuff going on. Can you elaborate? What is this Bill C-11? What the heck is going on? And, and then how does that relate to what we're talking about? I can't talk too much about the specifics of the bill, though I have listened right. to Michael Geis' podcast. He actually does a great job <laughs> outlining it. He's even done an interview with on his podcast with a senator about it as well. And the major issue here is that, I hate to say it, it's not in a vacuum. It isn't just Canada deciding to firm up their internet regulations because, oh, we're behind. No, in the UK, we have their online harms bill where they're trying to censor online discussion. And in the EU, they're actually going a step further and it's quite scary, where in the EU, they have the chat control proposal where they want to do client-side scanning because they're not going to break encryption, but they just want to make sure they can scan your device before you send anything off. What's concerning about this global push towards internet you know, control is that I believe the real motivation for this is that they have realized that big tech was able to build a machine that could brainwash people. Fundamentally, whether you're right or left, you know, most people will agree this is a brainwashing machine, whether you think it's for good, whether you think it's for bad, whether you think it's for nobody, that's what it's doing. And the problem is governments across the world want that power. The problem is that power can only exist if the storage, computing, and bandwidth are all centralized in one place. When you have this 
panopticon that controls what everyone can see, hear, and express, they're going both governments and corporations are going to clamor for control over it. And so, you know, now that I guess governments are starting to understand, oh, what's an algorithmic feed? Oh, you can determine what other people can see. That's what they want control of. They don't actually, I don't think they actually care what any of our individual opinions are. What they do want is the ability, like discussed in the previous uh, Rounding the Earth uh, discussion, is that they want the ability to hit a button. Oh, I want to talk to the people who care about this right now. That's what they want. And it's total control, total information control, total suppression. And this is why this is my mission is that by understanding how this stuff actually works to a certain level, to understand how those three primary resources work, we can actually formulate a plan to fight back. Because if you distribute that communication, that, you know, control across, you know, people generally, they literally cannot do this. It's a little bit of a long road, though. Oh, yeah. (laughs) moment we take ourselves out of the conversation pool in these other platforms in order to participate in one that has this, you know, this gossip protocol, um, you know, this, uh, you know, that that keeps anybody from having the uh, censorship button or or censorship arrangement power. I mean, it really is like it's it's crafting a maze, right? That's really what they can do. Um, Put you in a maze, put you in a maze with the monitor. to to for us to withdraw first means that we're withdrawn it's a cost there's a real short term right. cost to pay yeah yeah it's a prisoner's dilemma and now at some point though and i and and maybe maybe this is the moment maybe the the pandemic pushed so so many people um you know to the edge with censorship that um that the cost is smaller right when when people have fewer rights the cost is suddenly smaller well, not only that, but I would also argue that our tech hardware is so good that if you just want to run a basic website, it is practically impossible to keep a basic website offline, provided people are flexible enough. And that's the challenge is while things like I2, uh, sorry, while things why like IPFS and different darknets exist, the problem is, is that censorship is also a demand side problem. People have to want to look out for the alternative voices, the alternative view. But when it comes to actually being able to be heard for at least some types of content, you can be uncensorable. For instance, I was involved over the summer with a bunch of people trying to figure out how to get LoRa devices able to communicate with each other over long distances. We did a test and we can get messages you know, 26 kilometers with a very cheap, inexpensive device. The challenge is... What is this device? It's uh, LoRa, and the, we were using a system called Meshtastic, which is actually, you know, as the name implies, quite fantastic. But Meshtastic allows you to build a mesh net of nodes that can exchange really like short and simple messages. And this is actually a big part of why dis- discuss things in terms of the three resources, because you're not going to run your own network your own Netflix on that network. It's for really critical, you know, short-term messages. And that's how the three resources come into this aspect of the discussion. This system exists. It's practically uncensorable, but it's only suited to certain applications. Okay. So tell, tell me if this is what Laura is. I, I've imagined for a number <laughs> of years, what if I could carry around something like a BlackBerry? 
And what if um, if each of us has a BlackBerry and we kind of make a a mesh, a network where um, I don't kind of kind of like walkie talkies do, except everybody's already tuned in, you know, to the same wavelength. So we are we're we, we're networked so long as we're within distance with each other, and each of us could type some sort of a message on there. And now maybe I need to send the message to you, Gabe. But what's going to happen is is my device is going to gossip out to other devices that are going to look for con, you know closer connections to you until the message gets to you. Right. Um, and, and now maybe that message is encrypted so that not everybody's reading it. It's only read when it gets to you. Well, Mishtastic actually does have encryption built into it. And okay. that is kind of how it works. I suspect what the, LoRa, what the LoRa device is, is it's literally just a small radio with a screen. And all what's really fancy about it is that you program it in advance with, you know, the, the configuration can be done from a smartphone because it syncs up by Bluetooth. So your smartphone talks to it. It talks to the other LoRa devices and you can share those text messages across uh, the network. The problem is the, the two major problems you hit is you do actually need to you know, network of connected people, you know, unless you're running all the nodes yourself, then, then that becomes a greater challenge. You, you do have to become a service provider at that point. The, the thing is though, is that the other problem is that this is a, a public, you know, ban. The, the, the great thing is you can use it without a license, but the other problem is, is if say you're like, oh, well, everybody should use it. Not everybody needs to use it because it's like, well, the internet still works, you know, and it, it, it's it's when it comes to these considerations, I brought it up as an example, is that the technology exists nowadays. As far as I'm concerned, it is impossible to keep any specific piece of information off the Internet, but not necessarily content itself. You know, every piece of content is replaceable. And I would argue even most of the systems we use are actually quite replaceable. You know, whether we replace, you know, one Mastodon's right now, the biggest on the Fediverse, but it the open protocol exists that there are other servers out there. So if there is some government hate boner against Mastodon, there will be other systems that can still work within it. And I think the best thing people have going for them right now is that the tech is diverse, powerful, and, you know, flexible enough these days that I think if people were willing to, a cyber rebellion would go quite well. Interesting. Well, let's, now, let's... now uh, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people are, are sitting at home though. And they're thinking, no, I still don't know how to participate in that cyber rebellion. Now, <laughs> well, I would, I would, I would, I would recommend um, in general. You know, part of my content is laying that out in general. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I was <laughs> going to ask you to do that, which is to bring back your slide deck. You had a list, like a sort of a how to get started list, and I right. feel like that, that's that's one of the slides that needs to be like held up for longer, <laughs> right? Like people, and 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 it should be on a website somewhere, like. A lot of, uh, you know, getting started is having a map. So land chat is handles that you're going to use to climb that wall before you get started climbing that wall. Land chat is excellent, but I would say for honestly, complete beginners, gofoss.net is a whole lot better for uh, what you're describing. Because I can even give a bit of a tour if you give me a moment. I can share that instead. There we are. Perfect. Okay, so now I'm sharing GoFoss. So for every category here, it outlines what can be done. So on the left here, it says browse the net safely, keep conversations private. And I actually really like 
some of the specific points they felt the need to elaborate. So I'll go to uh, unlock your computer first, because that's for, for many people, it could be the first step or it could be the last step, depending on your patients, where they advocate switching to Linux. Personally, I would not recommend making it your first step. I would say learn Git before you can go on to Linux, but that's just a personal preference if you want to dive into it. And they have for all of these different categories, they have an how to and, you know, this has a qualifier of like, which is Linux the solution? And then they list the different flavors and, you know, what might work for you. And let me go to uh, speak pri privately or browse privately. Yeah, freely. There we go. So this site itself, and one of the reasons I wanted to mention it is it itself is open source. You can contribute to this website. And this is actually something I'm considering doing is for any oversight they have, you just clone their repository and put a request and you can make your changes. And this is where they talk about the basics of it. They have encrypted emails. They talk about XMPP, which is one of the major encrypted services. And it's quite good, but I'll also throw up land chat up there just because that was the one, I think the slide that initially got your attention. It shows you, how do you set up a website? Basic, you know, get started with, uh, you know, a web page that says, hello world, you know, whatever, this will get you there. But then it's all these services. How do you run this service? You know, uh, this- uh, yeah, go, go back go back up to the list just because- Okay. Like, you know, this uh, in these conversations, I think what gets a lot of people scared of technology is moving past that list too quickly. I almost feel like like it, it would be a worthwhile exercise to, to like, you know, focus in on that list and just like put that list on the screen and then just play like, you know, like relaxing, like, uh, you know, hypnotic <laughs> music in the background and, you know, or, you know, turn on your favorite tunes and have people do whatever they want, whatever, just like keep that list up just to, just to know, just to drive into, just to drive into people's minds. There's a checklist. It, it, yeah. it, it's really like, and, and and I'm saying this partially because I'm, I'm in the middle of like putting together an article on, you know, what are the things that you need to do to start a business? And and it's it's one of those things that seems scarier to people than it really is. But for any one thing that you do in life that is like that, you know, once you've done it once, you go, oh, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> and, and yet, and yet approaching it, approaching it that's that's the hardest thing is is getting started and for most people this is in a new this is in a new domain and now gabriel has said if we wanted to we could have a cyber revolution and the fact of the matter is 80 percent of the people out there are going nope nope <laughs> nope you know like i i have not begun that checklist yet and yet um as as people have pointed out sometimes it only takes you know three and a half percent to, to actually enact the revolution. And I think this is actually partially why, because the number of people who would actually be in that spot to choose where we go next, um, it's only a smaller percentage of people who are within that area. And, and not everybody needs to know, not everybody needs to, to be able to necessarily act on a level of, of, you know, Operating within this system at a at a complex level, uh, what Gabriel has done is he's mentioned, look, there are the people who are going to use Bash and interface directly with Linux. 
those are going to be the coders out there. Those are going to be the people who do this for a living. And Gabriel is a technologist for a living, right? He, um, and, and then there are going to be those people for whom they may, they may never again want to use a command prompt because the fact of the matter is that's not what they're doing with their daily life and their time. So I, I wanted to lay that out because I, I want users not to feel like this is just uh, this is a terrifying thing that they would just be pulled through. Right. We get pulled through terrifying things so often. The problem is when we're terrified of them, then you have the one central group that can come and pull everyone through all at once. And there's no choice to the matter. Whereas if we orient ourselves along with that portion of the technologists who believe in in freedom and decentralized power where we all have a voice as to how the system evolves and operates then you know that that is well that's the question do you want liberty or not and that's why it is that that it's important to begin at this square one square one and gabriel's one of the people with a sword and uh <laughs> And I, you know, I, I wanted to stop and have that aside with the checklist on the screen. That's my hypnotic music. I'm going to let you go, Gabe. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th I think that's an excellent point. And, you know, part of the biggest problems people have, especially when it comes to this, is, well, where do you start? And I would say having a website is a good place to start, whether it's a simple, you know, something you maintain by hand or whether you, you know, even just get, get some managed WordPress hosting. The honest truth is that people need in my opinion, like you say, it doesn't have to be every single person, but at least, you know, one in 10 would go a long way if people had their own platforms. Because my primary motivation in getting started during the pandemonium was I'm like, we could have made censorship impossible. Now, it would require constant effort, not like, oh, we did it. We, we sponsored censorship forever. You know, it does take a consistent level of effort. But the thing is, is that I believe there are two major problems. One, like you said, you, you, you labeled a certain segment of the population, those of us with the tech skills and hopefully the desire to make some of this happen. But the problem is, is if we don't really have users, you know, if I like if I'm not getting my friends and family on these systems, you know, whatever, I hate to say it. All I am is just one guy hiding alone. Ooh, I'm not on yeah. Facebook. I've saved the world. No, you haven't saved anyone if you're just saving your own mind and then all your friends are on TikTok and Twitter or whatever, getting brainwashed by the system. You need, I'll, I'll have to say that this is kind of tough talk for the techies, but you do need to figure out how to provide services to an enterprise level for at least a small user base. And, you know, personally to my, I, I have my, my own limitations, but that's the thing standard. I think we should get people to at least think about accessing. If you're a relatively technical person and you think you have the resources and the skill to provide enterprise level services, why not do it for your friends and family? Think of all the thing hassle you could save if instead of the system <laughs> brainwashing them, oh, everybody's communicating with each other and there's not this extra hassle. You know, most people, the biggest problem they have is, oh, I don't want to install another app, install another app, which is why I'm in love with these open services. Because then it doesn't matter if somebody's on Mastodon, somebody's on Miskey, somebody's on Plaroma. Everybody's instances can all talk to each other. And that's, you know, my server people talk to your server people, you know, <laughs> it all works. Perfectly. Right. And, and I just want to point this out. I've been suspicious of this the entire time during the pandemic. Okay, so censorship started and then there was sort of a... Um, a migration to these different platforms, Gab and Gitter and, and 
truth social whatever and and the more it happened and the more that i saw the way that some people were made social media famous due to their censorship the more i felt like it was a controlled operation that really and truly that when you look at it what you have is this map and you have um the town square and then you have the ghetto you know and, and you have <laughs> different ghettos and you farm people into these ghettos and back again at times according to the conversation that you want to have and when you want to have it and this has resulted in there being too few nodes yeah right i call them sometimes the 800 pound gorillas of the <laughs> medical freedom movement but um you know almost all of them not not all of them necessarily like you know rfk jr was sort of already around at the very beginning and so it's it's not necessarily the case that he that he you know aimed at being an 800 pound gorilla node <laughs> but i think that everybody should look at all of the um the mega nodes in the graph that is the medical freedom movement and think about how it is that um our attention could have been arranged around them and what that means and and this this is different this keeps that from being as powerful and for there possibly being any sort of psychological operation around you know the, those those centers right because any one of them maybe their messaging is actually being controlled by google or or, or by the canadian government now, and you know I'll, sorry i'll let you go liam no no go for it and then i want to introduce uh the next part of this i think Okay. Well, because the thing I, I found funny is that during the pandemonium, a lot of people were saying, oh, they're going to shut down the internet. They're going to shut down the internet. And knowing what I knew and where I was kind of going through this process of trying to get this stuff written down so that people can hopefully understand it was that we aren't using the internet well enough for them to bother shutting it down. You know, as far as I'm concerned, none of us are doing our jobs to use the internet effectively, that it's seriously a problem for them. It's working perfectly as a brainwashing machine. And so part of my goal is to teach people how to use the internet in a way that will make them want to shut it down. Boom. You just defined, you just defined the level deeper in the PSYOP. You're absolutely right. Yeah. It is working so well for them as a brainwashing oh, yeah. machine. The idea that they would shut it down is total absurdity. Now, it... It, there is some possibility. I mean, obviously, yeah, like if an, if, if an asteroid hits the earth, you know, uh, <laughs> people are going to lose power, right? Out, but, outages. Um, you know, and, and, and we are seeing this sort of economic decoupling of the world. But to the extent possible, they want to maintain that that drip, drip, drip of their own information channels, um, you know, packet streaming to your home. Uh, they do a pretty good job controlling it. That That's spot on. Okay. So Matthew, you brought up the really good point of, you know, sort of people, thought leaders uh, as almost nodes in this system. But so, and we've also talked about how there was this exodus from Facebook and from, uh, you know, Twitter at first, certainly. Um, I, I myself basically left all of those platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, in part because they've straight up started threatening to report people for domestic terrorism, which is really obscene. That was a real program that they rolled out in 2021, at least on Facebook, where you could report your friends and family for extreme, you know, whatever. So it became, but that's a, that's kind of another thing. Point is I did what you were saying, Gabriel. I'm like, I'm going to fight the system by not being on those platforms. 
And uh, for a while, the idea of being on Facebook terrified me, especially as I started to learn about the origins of some of these companies and just what they're set up to do. But what's the result? You then wind up, Matthew, as you say, going to Gab, going to Getter, going to Parler. Some of those companies wind up almost acting like traps, where if you're on Parler, depending on when you're there, now you're a white supremacist just by being on there. (laughs) Okay, so then you start to get platforms like Rumble come up, which are talked about as being the the you know the the censorship free the free speech the alternative to youtube and i want to use rumble as an example i'm going to pull up i did a bit of research i finally i i had this itch i really wanted to know i knew in the case of rumble there were there were people uh, or companies behind it that made a couple people nervous and it's <laughs> one of those things i just didn't want to think about so yesterday i finally thought about it so rumble before its IPO, so it's now it is now a publicly traded company, and we'll get to some of those stockholders. But before its IPO, did you know that Peter Thiel was one of the three big investors in it? Hmm. I think uh, Whitney Webb mentioned that. Matthew, did you know that? Um, I, I I've heard it. Uh, it's not necessarily on the top of my mind every day, but yeah, that's right. And it, not, neither is it on mine. And uh, the other two are this one called Colt Ventures. Um, They're big into biopharma, biotech, uh, you know, some of the same companies, you know, Alnalam is is a gene therapy focused um, company. Um, Some some interesting uh, focus in their portfolio, really primarily on pharmaceuticals, you know, which gets my red flags going up. And then the other one was Naria which um, same, same here. They've got some, uh, some therapeutics they like to, to invest in. So that, that's that. And I think Whitney, uh, in particular, you're right, has sort of been early on being skeptical of Rumble. So, okay, but that's fine. After the IPO. If I could put a pin in that, this is the prisoner's dilemma, right? Yeah. Do, do you, um, like, it may be that um, the same people who would, be invested in the pharmaceutical companies would want there to be an out, right? Because that that gives people the possibility of paying the cost to try to to get out of the prisoner's dilemma, to try to to exit uh, whatnot. And, and if you have that, it, it's sort of it's a short term delta. It's a short term change in the system that removes those people from the discussion that's happening in the broader arena, and they're more likely to do it. If um, they're more likely to do it if something new is available. So you make that available right at the most important critical moment in history. Timing is certainly be. wonderful. <laughs> I, I, will, it, I will say though, like from, from the perspective of the three primary resources, what Rumble is giving you as a creator is they're giving you a easy to configure server that has a ton of bandwidth and a ton of storage right away. Fundamentally, I do think when it comes to solving this problem, you do need people within their own circles somehow to acquire and share those resources. And that's the only way you're going to unseat something like Rumble. Fundamentally, though, these services will always exist. There will always be greater concentrations of these resources together simply because that's how the economies of scale works. And 
in my opinion, this is kind of why I blame, you know, the, the audiences a bit, because you do need to be flexible enough to switch from one service to another. You know, as you say, you know, people were kind of like nudged into one service or another. But if people were really flexible enough that it's like, oh, I don't care where this is coming from. That's a win and it's on its own right. Absolutely. And 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 you you just went where I want to go as the next step. But before we get there, because the other part is, oh, okay, well, so you've got this Peter Thiel guy. And by the way, Peter Thiel, to be clear, for those who don't know, we won't go into deep dive. But he, as far as I'm concerned, is in the same category as, you know, Elon Musk, um, uh, Sergey Brin, uh, Jeff Bezos. Like they are the same class. In fact, they a lot of those guys come from this PayPal mafia. So my point is, there's an initial set of information you should have about who's who's, you know, originating these companies. But of course, it went uh, public. And now there's this there's this uh, uh, there's this revolution in my own mind I went through about a year and a half ago when I learned for the first time that all of the biggest companies in the world are owned by the same basically top three companies, those being BlackRock, Vanguard and State Street, I think, and that they all own each other. And therefore, you've got this sort of corporate mafia that runs everything. Now, that's sort of obvious. But it was a very big transition point for me in my understanding and seeing the graphs and, you know, Coca-Cola and Pepsi basically, you know, imagine thinking they actually care which of the two you prefer, Coke or Pepsi. So well, my point is, yeah, you probably at this point don't think Rumble falls in that category. But there's this wonderful tool, Yahoo Finance, which lists the top 10, you know, institutional shakeholders and er, shakeholders stakeholders in a in a fairly easy <laughs> shakedown holders maybe anyway here they are the this is not in order um this is in alphabetical order blackrock cantor fitzgerald commonwealth equity services david Sachs, who's another big tech investor geode capital management invesco platform technology partners royal bank of canada uh susquehanna international group matthew and vanguard thoughts well, I'm, I'm I'm thinking through Susquehanna. Of course, I worked there um, for for about a year. Uh, it's run by Jeff Gaz. <clears throat> um, I I do know that uh, just just having seen you know various things over time, um, he is one of the largest donors to uh, Republican political campaigns. Hmm. Um, but I I don't know. I mean, he interviewed me, but I I don't know like so much about him personally that I can that I have like a real, real strong opinion on what that, that means, except that, okay, you know, um, there's investment. Uh, and, and, and I was, you know, and even before that, I was going to mention, you can imagine a pool of investors, you know, what I said about rumble being something that could be sort of a short-term trap. Once something like rumble exists, you can imagine there being two types of investors, um, good actors and bad actors in the same pool. And each of them would want influence over how the tool is used. So to me, I'm not sure how much time we should spend going down a list like this, except to point out that there are that, you know, like BlackRock and Vanguard, like there's so much heft to those organizations yeah. that that it's important to realize that they are in the pool. But and otherwise, it's important to realize that the platform has gone into a similar realm. It's achieved another level of notoriety or or acceptance, Gabriel. You know, like you were saying, it's now become this, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, the scaling up of a service. 
you will eventually wind up, whether it is BlackRock or Vanguard, you know, in, in 20, 30, 100 years, there'll be an equivalent, you know, big financial powerhouse that will seek out the next good uh, business opportunity and, and, and buy it. So, Matthew, you're right. In that sense, this itself doesn't have to mean more than this platform isn't just as, you know, this small new competitor that, that's come out. It's become something else. And note as well that uh, I wasn't aware they had actually acquired Locals, but Locals is now a subsidiary of Rumble. So that's something mm. else too, is the consolidation of services. Um, and yeah, I again, think they merged they, in some way, but I wasn't sure what the relationship was. Yeah, I thought it was a, a, a like a license, like a sharing of the video um, infrastructure. But uh, no, it's it's more intense than that. But this goes to what you were saying, Gabe. This I think this doesn't then mean we should now stop using Rumble. No, that would be absurd because it provides a fantastic service that maybe and maybe you could elaborate on this. This doesn't solve all our problems. It is a tool in what needs to be a very large toolbox. Am I right? So th there's there's a challenge here because Matthew point out, pointed out the prisoner's dilemma where you can either withdraw from the conversation and not be you know exposed to the brainwashing machine, so to speak, or you participate in the hopes of reaching people within that system. So I would say, you know, using Rumble to the degree you are trying to communicate with the Rumble audience is important. But as we've already discussed, you know, that people are being moved in certain directions. So from a, you know, outreach perspective, you would want basically to have a highly specialized person in each silo. You would have a Facebook, you know, spokesperson you would have a rumble spokesperson and those would be ideally you know very popular content on those platforms the problem is is that i you know the reason why that logo there you see on my on my thing is is the libra solutions network's logo is three interlocking shields as i'm like we need to protect each other you know you shouldn't put your personal family photos or videos on youtube or rumble anyways those should be private within the family and so just like a family would have you know a private collection you may also want private digital infrastructure within your trusted network uh, and that's really the core of my message and, and yeah and that that's that's uh, and that's oh gosh i mean there are a lot of important aspects of this conversation but that's the one that's going to pierce a lot of families a lot of people are going to understand this better and better people already i mean people have been questioning whether or not we should put that much information on social media already for years and years and i sometimes cringe like i i love to see my uh my friend's children you know especially the ones like you know i've known them you know like i i was around them while they were pregnant you know uh, like i love seeing my friend's children pop up on social media um you know cute pictures of puppies and law cats too you know like all, all that stuff um it, you know just a, a little snippet of like being in somebody's home when you can't always do that right so See, but the funny thing is a lot of that doesn't have to go away because you could just run a soapbox. Instance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. This, this is the invitation. This is the, look, you can control, you can, you can retain ownership and total control over your information and your data, and you can permission it how you want. That will never be able to happen um, if you don't have open, if you don't have free software. It free software and the resources to run it. <laughs> it cannot happen. That is the Faustian bargain right there. 
right? That's the that's the cheap versus free. Exactly. Now you're you're this is fantastic. I I wrote down private digital infrastructure like family photos treat similarly. Like th this is now starting to form in my head like the ways in which I could begin to uh, use this in my own life. Um, there's so now specific questions start to come up. For example, Will Ed Edmiston in our rum or locals chat asks, "What's a good photo app for private and easily displayable photo sharing?" Has that been has that been figured out? Well, um, the, the funny thing is there's a million different ways to do specific things off the top of my head, just because of what I've, I've used, you can use Nextcloud, which is your own kind of normie friendly, you know, cloud solution and throw your photos on there. And I think it has some useful features. Like you can share a link, you know, say you want to give a one-off photo to one person, but you know, the Fediverse has a lot of these <laughs> options as well, where like you'd, uh, they have a, Instagram clone instance called pixel fed and you could use pixel fed for just if, if your goal is just to share photos that's a good one built for that but you don't have to use the fediverse for everything you know being able to create your own private website can do that as well you know there are so many different options where if you just have the control of your own digital infrastructure the options are endless it's it's just how you want to set it up because you get to be the master of how those are used you can install a server that does something differently or another you know it could just be a simple you know website that oh here's all the photos or it could be this super complicated uh, you know all per perfectly tagged you know collection though I, i'll admit i don't know much about which would be the the perfectly curated collection i'm sure there exists I, I just have to say for the sake of conversation we need to come up with a better phrase than normie friendly <laughs> <laughs> we need a better term than normie because it, it, it that's so fish bowling, you know. Uh, um, I mean, like, and, that's and, not going to get my dad like, on board. Yeah, <laughs> may as well uh, out my affiliation. This problem exists because we are in fish bowls, right? And 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 we're we're trying to figure out how not to be in some sense, but um, but also it's a you know it's a social I don't know that ah. Uh, um, well, I'd argue the language is, you know, first before it even happens in the protocols. Um, but they they catch us that way. It is so easy, though. Right. Like in, in, in our conversations and our private conversations, um, it, it's, it's the easiest, simplest way to make people everybody understand at once. Well, I would argue, you know, the, the only way I've noticed to really get out of the fishbowl is with your extended relatives and family because you have no control over what, you know, brainwashing they may or may not have been a part of. And really that's how you, you know, grow throughout at least a somewhat organic channel of communication. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Maybe now's a good time to move into this TikTok situation. Mm. I am once again going to try to locate a very specific tab out of hundreds. <laughs> A, B, C, D. There it is. So um, I heard about this yesterday. So at, look, so here's here's some background as I understand it. TikTok is, in fact, a uh, a platform um, based out of China. I believe ByteDance. Is that the uh, parent company? And the way that, as far as I understand, the way that uh, it works in China is it's, it's a little different, at least in theory, than it works in the Western world. Basically, uh, everything is... Um, is affiliated with the Chinese government, essentially, like the way that the infrastructure is set up. And, and maybe that's fine. Maybe it's not. Point is, <laughs> there are genuine concerns about the widespread mass adoption 
of this, uh, like for all the same reasons uh, that we should be skeptical of all the other social media platforms. I'm not saying they're not doing everything TikTok is doing, but TikTok in particular has this added aspect of being potentially a surveillance tool, a tool to manipulate from the Chinese government. So that's the premise. Then you have the social aspects of it's just particularly uh, 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 salient among like young people. And there's some weird stuff going on with what kind of content are kids getting from this thing. So look, I think we're all more or less on the same page about this. There have been previous talks about, um, uh, I think in, in, in the States, uh, the first discussion of banning TikTok might have been like 2017, 2018 under President Trump. I think in Canada, there was talk of uh, maybe even just a couple of months ago, making it so government officials in Canada were not allowed to have TikTok on their phone. So there's there's a long several year history of this. But now what's happened is the introduction of a bill that is entirely focused on either on banning TikTok or otherwise responding to the TikTok problem. But am I right, Gabe, that that's not what it seems? Well, the biggest challenge I find is that, like we've said, they've, they've built this big, you know, mind control infrastructure and they want control over it fundamentally. It's there lying on the table, even if they were totally benign and, you know, this was all for the good of people. Grabbing that hammer makes everything look like a nail. And the problem with a lot of these bills is like somebody, I think it was the Mises caucus pointed out that the verbiage in the restrict act literally says they want to stop any transaction that undermines national security, whatever. This could be a full-blown Patriot Act 2.0. And the problem is the reason why I think internet regulation plays so well right now is because you have part of the power structure being like, oh yeah, you know, censorship really saved our asses in the pandemic. Imagine if misinformation was even more extreme. And so now there's like tons of money flowing in that direction. And the biggest problem I see with a lot of this stuff is that even if, you know, people don't want to admit that there's a big coordinated plan, the problem is an open auction effectively is that. When there's a ton of money pouring into controlling people's minds, people are got to figure out ways to get together and do it. And it, it, the, legislatively, I'm more concerned over what they're going to stop people from doing because we can all, you know, leave TikTok, but we can't leave, you know, them doing another Patriot Act kind of thing. I, you know, I, I don't know enough about TikTok specifically. Um, like, I've never been on TikTok myself. I've seen TikTok videos, of course. Um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to have a computer and not have seen TikTok videos. Um, so I'm going to ask this question, and I don't know if either of you can answer this for me. Would you say that per account, attention on TikTok is more or less centralized? Attention? Right. Like, I, I, sometimes I see, like, videos that, that have, you know, gotten a million views on TikTok. You know, it, on Twitter that's more likely to happen to the same account over and over and over again. Oh, I see. Every tweet from certain, you know, from certain people, once they um, get the phone, once it's, you know, they're in it. I think that these circles form where everybody promotes each other's tweets and everybody has a certain degree of fame themselves. And it sort of, you know, it creates sort of super, I think the medical freedom movement has clusters of sort of super nodes where everybody pushes everybody's out. In fact, I, I think that's actually part of, what um, what's appealing about Carolina Benita to a lot of people in the medical freedom movement is that she brings that understanding as to how to or orchestrate that. 
And that's why people are sort of hush hush about the conversation about, you know, the truck full of guns and, you know, you know, conflicts that she's had and, and questions uh, about a lot of her behavior. But, um, yeah, I, I guess more of what I'm asking is, is TikTok a place that, let's say that the U.S. government or powerful business interests want to be able to control people's thoughts? Uh, are they better able to do it through TikTok or less well able to do it? Uh, as in, do does, you know, the average account wind up getting more attention than the super nodes? Well, I would say the big thing is that in some ways we have seen proof that it does centralize attention because what it, you know, shorts, the, the short video format went viral across all the other platform. Then YouTube had it, then, you know, Instagram integrated it, and then Facebook, you know, they've all copied that mechanism. Now I openly speculated it's because, oh, they figured out how long people's attention span currently is. But the tr sad truth of the matter is, is what I'm more scared about when it comes to TikTok. Yes, it's a smartphone app and smartphones are, you know, have a whole bunch of their own issues. But the thing is, is we've already seen TikTok apply basically like not very transparent filters over the content. And so as a silly example here, you know, everybody remembers a Snapchat dog, you know, girls would have this silly dog with the ears, you know, whatever. But the thing is, is it would be obvious there's a filter running over that. I have seen a handful of TikTok examples here of where some woman, you know, in, you know, a relatively normal shape, you know, not like supermodel, not like, you know, super offensive. Um, but the thing is, is the TikTok app itself will alter how it looks in real time, not in, you know, just to the viewers, but also to the person recording it. When you are looking yeah. into your camera to, through TikTok, you are not even looking at yourself. You are looking at what TikTok wants you to look like. And it's actually quite extreme. I've seen, you know, those where they hold it up close to their phone. So you mm. see it pop in and out. It is actually quite extreme. Suddenly and, you're giving people control over self-image. You're and, giving you know, people control over projected image, but also you're giving somebody else control over, over your mirror. And the thing I'm most worried about, truthfully, when it comes to this, is we know where the technology of you know text AI, you know media generation, whether it's text, whether it's audio, whether it's video, they can do that in real time now. So now, when somebody gives uh, you know video a live stream or whatever, it's the whole is anything real? You know they can yeah. change it, whether it's video, audio, whether it's you know the you know, the whole shebang. It can be manipulated wow. in real okay. time. Okay, okay. I, I want to stop here. I want to think about this. This, this, is, this is enormous right here. Like this this point about controlling the mirror. Um, so I, I always get I always get my mythological stories a little bit wrong. So help me out if I if I uh, make a mistake here. Uh, the story of Narcissa uh, the story of Narcissa is that Narcissa's there was some sort of like a like a sort of a bargain curse where Narcissus was cursed to never know himself. Right. That was the story. And and then and then even, even like and the test was Echo, you know, this this beautiful woman um, whom, you know, could have been part of Narcissus life. You know, Echo um, could call out, but. Narcissa could not even, you know, reflect off of Echo to be able to then observe himself, right? That would break the curse to know him, his, his own self, to be able to, um, you know, 
incorporate somebody else into their life and therefore have their perspective. And, and, and this is the story of, of narcissism, right? It, it, it's something that, that um, is, is a molded thing that can happen to somebody. And, and, you know, people point out sometimes like, uh, you know, Western society or U.S. culture in particular is like the most narcissistic, narcissistic society ever to exist. I think that that warning should be there is the most pressure toward not knowing yourself than there has ever been. And that, um, that pointing this out, this content filtration, if someone else controls not you, they control the level of your narcissistic madness. I don't know how well I said that, right? I'm trying to meander through <laughs> here. Um, I, I think you're bang on in the sense that this doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing. People have horribly underestimated how much big tech has been able to influence people over time. And, you know, Regardless of how people feel about TikTok, I will warn that it is the state of the art of whatever this machine is. Right. So, okay. Right. But the, now, the uh, maybe what you said about, so there's language um, in the, like, I, so I haven't gone through it myself. I heard Barnes, Robert Barnes, uh, Viva Barnes Law, .locals.com, um, talk about it uh, yesterday, where, um, or two days ago, where, as you say, Patriot Act 2.0. Um, and, and that meme has already spread. Like, I, I don't think there's many, I, I, I think people are, are aware something's up with this bill uh, and aware of the premise that things get hidden in these bills uh, and, and hidden behind um, fun names like the Restrict Act. So it's not just that this bill would allow new powers to restrict social media or or you know it's not just tiktok it's social media but it's not just social media it's transactions and the timing of that is really interesting of course because as we started the conversation with there's this entire worldwide changeover happening in the financial system that seems to have started uh, in earnest with the ftx nonsense and everything that's happened since then and is now happening with actual banks you have the rollout of the Federal Reserve's FedNow system, which, as I understand it, is not itself a central bank digital currency, but it it, it is like a an instant liquidity, um, you know, transactional platform that is the infrastructure required for a central bank digital currency. And then you have all of these other, like the banks that are being targeted by this uh, either genuine bank runs or sort of arbitrary closure by the uh, the the, the banking regulators they're them being crypto friendly banks and this having knock-on effects on on various cryptocurrencies point is there's this entire um uh, uh changeover that seems to be happening in a way that that seems to tie together information control and financial control using the same underlying technology um i don't know could you speak to am i onto something here am i right to think that the timing of this bill uh, even though it's hidden under the context of a TikTok ban, could there be something else going on there? Well, I assume that the technocracy, because I, I wrote a series called The Tools of the Technocracy that kind of touches on the technological side of it. I see they have the same you know, bandwidth computing power storage issue that we do. Fundamentally, they have to store all those you know, communications they intercept one way or another. And 
I think one of the better points made I've seen made by different commentators is that what's the real fight right now is, yeah, it's all going to be through a CBDC and, you know, that's, that's going to be a whole lot of stuff. But the problem is, are the retail banks and the retail, you know, financial institutions, are they going to be just getting the surveillance job? Are they going to be the ones deciding, oh, that person did a bad, so they're getting censored. And I think part of the rub right now is that with some of the automated tools that exist right now, I don't think they're even sure how that's going to fundamentally shake up when, I hate to say it, if you don't care that much, about you know getting the details right you can automate it use ai and if things go wrong since you control the system you can just reverse it that's not really the concern and so i think the power has always been gradually ramping up and that these stages in the system is really more what they can do to get that extra bit of you know leverage in the legislative sense you know these laws will say we can do x and the problem is nobody stops to think hey maybe they don't have a right to do that and this is why i kind of emphasize self-hosting because if people run their own services mm -hmm. fundamentally that'll fall under free speech in some case law somewhere and if we can't defend oh this guy's running his own server that's you know communicating with his family or whatever it's all lost anyways <laughs> and so i do think there are important battles to fight and i would personally not rush to defend you know tiktok per se but the problem with all of these bills whether it's chat control whether it's the uk harms bill whether it's this tiktok ban is they are all fundamentally giving this information control system over to a different power that built it yeah and and, and yeah and it's a matter of who is centralizing and controlling that power um i'm, I'm always you know skeptical of of you know, further centralizing any of those control levers. But in this case, there's sort of a, a, a blame China aspect to it. Uh, right now we're seeing, you know, Sino-Western relations deteriorating pretty rapidly. It seems like uh, every story in the West has some sort of embedded narrative of, you know, we're in this fight with China, right? We're in this struggle for control of global hegemony or something like that. Um, and, and it could just be used as an excuse for power levers, right? Um, but I, I don't think so. I think it, you know, in the past, historically, when you had uh, competing nations and you had policies that weren't necessarily optimal but were specific to that nation, you could sort of just bury it in history. You know, everybody could just sort of like roll their eyes and go, well, it was in context of a war. Now, in the modern age, where nobody forgets anything because of the Internet, if they really want to hold on to it, be able to hold it up again, make everybody remember it um it's it's uh you know governance without principle like that becomes a different thing it begins to appear as though um that the republic has been smashed john titus does a good job laying that out just from like the money side of it he's like yeah you know they've ignored they, they've let the criminals get off free so like we like to him it's like we're a post-constitutional state the thing is, is what scares me a bit is that it's global. You know, we, we exist on a planet that we don't understand the governance structure for. How do you find that out? <laughs> right. And there's this question right now as to whether or not, um, you know, people are trying to destroy the government. And I, I just keep thinking, like, I, I have not believed for a very long time. And, and, and I know that I'm, I'm in the, the small minority here, but I, I believe since I was a teenager that the that the world was not being governed the way that we were told. 
and that uh, that you know this idea that we were part of a nation, and and that's not that it's not meaningful, right? Like the United States is still meaningful to me. I assume Canada is still meaningful to you. Um, you know, when uh, I, I recognize the shared cultures and I appreciate them, right? I appreciate the American people, for instance. Um, and yet, and yet, um, I believe that that these power levers have been routed around what we would think of a constitutional authority so long ago that what we're actually seeing is the breakdown of the facade, not the nation itself. I could be wrong about that. I'd, I'd love to have, you know, for, for anybody who has the, um, the perspective that um, what this is about is trying to get people to destroy their own nations. I actually, you know, I, I worry it's more having people, um, you know, I, I I don't I don't think that's the problem actually, but I, I I would love to have those conversations with with those people. To steel man the idea, if you talk to anyone you know millennial and younger, they are vastly out of touch with any kind of common culture, common framework. So maybe it's not that the systems are being destroyed, but that for many you know the future of humanity they are already gone. Possibly, what? or or the 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 fact that they could get online. And and it and it would be as if it were you know one global online world um, shows that it wasn't there before perhaps mm -hmm. that there was that that we just didn't have a portal to the other side of of the connectivity and now suddenly it's a very small world after all. Well, I I, I do think I've watched and picked up on perhaps. Like, I'm wondering if there is an intentional effort to turn people against and, and you distinguish between the government and the nation. And I, I do think this is there's probably several layers of nuance here, but I think there is an intentional effort to get people to turn on something about the system. And I don't mean holding people accountable for crimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, going in and dismantling everything and allowing it to burn without building alternate solutions. So we're here talking alternate solutions. Sometimes among trusted circles, you know, people I, I know, I love, and I, I believe are earnest, sometimes they'll say something, they'll propose a solution that to me just sounds not like, not like anarchy, but like intentional chaos. And it, you see how they got there. Um, but if so, then I zoom out and I go, OK, well, J.J. Cooey, OK, he's been uh, a couple months ago. He discovered this video, which if I had handy, I'd play it. Is but it the a, Du Bois video? Yes. Yes. It, and he plays it every every stream he does now. And I'm happy because it's this guy. Matthew, have you seen this? No, I'll, I'll you know try to I'm explain it. it. It's uh, or, 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 maybe I have. But uh, um, repeat it for me again. I'm sorry. In, in a nutshell. It's this guy. I don't know who he is, but he talks about how if you wanted to create a crisis to have people turn on their government and everything, what you would do is you would manufacture a health crisis with like a small, you know, 1%. Oh, right, crisis. right, right. That, that video then, with the guy talking. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and that's what I thought we were talking about. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to yeah. mention. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it, here's here's one thing that I wonder about is is this more like a controlled process? The corporations are already creating their own private armies, right? There are, there are private police forces, 
private police forces aren't even that exclusive, right? You can hire private security, you know, uh, a gated community can hire private security. A mall can hire private security. One store can hire private security, right? Um, it, you know, it, it is, there is something about that, that is in, that is evolving. And it may simply be that this is the moment at which the actual governance structure is saying the that that the pieces of your governance structure are to us more expensive than we know how to make operate. You know, a good example Therefore, of it, the ball is going to be in your court to also come up with your own solutions. A good example of that, actually, oddly enough, speaking of the internet regulation in Canada, I was listening to Michael Geis podcast where he has a Canadian Senator talking about it. And this is my own analysis on top. So don't quote him for it. But the thing is, is the Senator was furious. She is furious that the government of Canada puts through this bill that, you know, we can speculate comes from some other upstairs and they send it in as is. It doesn't conform to our laws. It doesn't conform to, you know, the way it should be in the system. And the Senate has spent a lot of time, okay, we've got these amendments so that it can still work within the existing legislative framework. And the Trudeau government apparently said no to that those amendments. I haven't kept up to it recently, but last I heard, they knocked it down. And she, the senator herself even said, if they, if they don't accept those amendments. She's like, we don't know what to do now. You know, it's like, this isn't passing. And if there is a set of laws that, you know, they're going to government saying you have to pass these, you know, maybe other governments are going to like try to make it work. Whereas Trudeau is just like, no, it's going to pass. Just throw shove it through. It doesn't matter. Let's all check our paychecks and go home. You know? Well, and I think that's right. Like if you, <laughs> I, I, I said this out loud to my partner, Sam, the other day, I said, you know, uh, these people really do just sound like they're saying SFA, uh, not swearing here today, um, it, and, and hoping that critical thinkers aren't watching. But everyone who is watching sees, like, you, there's nothing of substance behind this ridiculous assertion you just made. So Justin Trudeau can just say whatever the heck he wants. He can avoid answering any questions. And by the way, I'm going to say I'm starting to see the same from Pierre Polyev. And basically every uh, leader of any, you know, significant position, another example, Emmanuel Macron is now in, and I don't know the details of this, but has now just basically pushed through um, some uh, change to uh, um, pension, uh, like pension reform policy that I think the idea is it was clearly going to cause people to be very upset. And it seems like the agenda sent from above was this has to be done. So he just did it. And there's almost not even an attempt to get people on side anymore. It's just, we're just going to do this. And it's not, we're going to, you know, round people up and shoot you. So it's, it's just hidden enough from the eyes of anybody not paying attention. It just seems more and more like that. Or, or, or Joe Biden, another example. Like when I look at almost every world leader, I see that now. Like I, I don't see, I don't, I, I just see I just see people who are there to push through stuff. And as you say, Gabriel, like there will be people who try to fit it into the system. But that's certainly not how it came in. And it's certainly not the intention to have it reflect whatever national sovereignty it's, you know, trying to wedge into. Um, do you see that as well? Like, do we have any legitimate world leaders at this point? <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't speak for the world. I don't know. Maybe there's yeah. a country out there that has has something good going for it. Um, I'm, I'm very skeptical. Like 
to be honest, I called it the Libra Solutions Network because I'm like, here's what we need to do about this because I don't have any ideas on, oh, here's how we can fix the governance structure. I'll admit to me, you know, the reason why my logo is shields and not swords is because I think the only way we get out of this is by protecting each other. We need to make strong, you know, communities that can actually support each other, whether it's digitally, whether it's financially, whether it's, you know, with the real stuff that's needed. You know, I just focused on a small slice of this overall picture. And the real tragic thing is, is that I think the governance structure as it exists, you know, I, in the last tools of the technocracy, I wrote about the human dominance hierarchy, which is my, you know, placeholder for basically whatever this thing is, it has certain components. And there are different people, like you say, who want to smash everything down. You know, uh, I'll call them the radicals. And there are people who just want, you know, let's just let's just make it, you know, fix it. The people on our side who are trying to just make it work within the system. I have different advice for people in those two camps. I think if you're on one side of those barriers, we can still work together as long as we recognize, you know, there are some overlapping goals. And I do think that's one of the big ways they keep people, you know, in these little silos where it's like, oh, you're a reformer. Therefore, you know, you're a sellout shill. Oh, you're a radical. Therefore, you're trying to get us all arrested. To me, the authentic radical side of things is you want to fundamentally change whatever this dominance hierarchy is. And the reason why Libra's Solutions is the Shields is because the way to do that is defensively, not offensive. Or maybe we should say even before that. Um, the radical thing is we should think about the health of humans first. Right. Is, is, uh, is you know, we, we've there. been in this rat park. This rat park is the result of this hierarchy. It, you know, it, it's the hierarchical command then interacting with us as a system. Right. And then the, the radical thing is to say, hey, if what we want is the healthiest world that we're sharing in terms of our interaction with it, then what needs to happen in in that protocol level, you know, uh, way up where the hierarchy is forming? Can we do it from the root up and compete with that that's coming down at us? Um, and I, I think this is a critical conversation. I would like to revisit it, like as in let's let's uh, come back and talk about this aspect of things later because um, I, I think this is important. Uh, you know, uh, the Fediverse, you know, is it's it's meant for this conversation. But we, you know, um, this conversation goes deep and, and uh, we can put a pin in it here and come back to it. And on that, Gabe, this has been absolutely fantastic. Like I said, I, I've been writing down notes this entire time, <laughs> services I've never heard of. I've pulled up tabs for the websites that you gave that have the checklists. Um, there's been robust discussion going on in the locals chat. Um, people are finding that you are a fantastic presenter. So I think people want to hear more from you, which was sort of what got me thinking we should have you on in the first place because you had put together this fantastic presentation that um, I, I thought would be, and I think correctly, I thought would be a great basis for a conversation like this. Mm -hmm. So given that you've got all of these fantastic resources, um, we've got the Substack link, uh, the link to your Substack mm -hmm. scrolling on the bottom of the screen here, it is for those listening audio only, libresolutionsnetwork.substack.com. And I will bring it up on screen now. Do you have anything you want us to leave the audience with? Any uh, any instructions, any suggestions, anywhere people can find you that we haven't thought about yet? Love one another. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah, you know, when you go back that to your source protocol level, um, a lot, a lot makes sense, right? 
Well, I, I do mean that sincerely, though. I mean, the more we can do in our lives, whether it's technologically, whether it's in other areas, the more we can maximize, maximize genuine joy with each other, the better we will all be, regardless of what we're facing. True story. True story, indeed. Well, um, I'm going to that that was a very short and succinct plug, which is excellent. That gives me a moment to plug roundingtheearth.locals.com, where, as I mentioned, we've had robust discussion um, and uh, a, a solid community of people who have joined us over there once again for a fantastic chat. So go roundingtheearth.locals.com, sign up to be a free member to stay in the loop with everything we're doing, or you can become a paid supporter for as little as five bucks a month. You could even still for a couple more days, get a free month. RTE March 2023 is the promo code. And um, we do fantastic weekly uh, supporters only live streams and uh, a bunch of other fun stuff. And um, mo most importantly, we love each other. We, uh, we, we create community. Um, this may be a centralized platform, but the way the decentralized platforms start is by connecting with people who then have the idea to go and make their own thing. So I think that's what we're starting to do here. So that's what I recommend people do. And in the meantime, any final thoughts, gentlemen, anything we want to leave people with? No, I, I think Gabriel hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I mean, that, that you know, the, the source of the protocol is, is uh, you know, a healthy human community and love. And, and you know, that, that interaction right there, everything else um, springs from it. And you make more sense of a lot of it when you, when you come back to that root. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining Thank us. Thank you, Gabe. Okay, we'll see you guys again very soon. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>